Thanks for tuning in to the Armstrong and Getty Show. John Phillips is filling in for us today. He's a good dude. Be nice to him. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty on loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, broadcasting in exile from my living room in Palm Springs, California. You can listen to me, by the way, at KABC.com between the hours of noon and 3 Pacific Coast time or on AM 790 KABC if you happen to be in Los Angeles. Coming up later on in the program, we're going to check in with Bobby Chacon, formerly of the FBI. He's going to talk to us about how to make Susan Rice, which involves a pinch of Rick Grinnell. So make sure you stick around for that. But first, it's a pleasure to welcome New York Times bestselling author, who you can follow on Twitter at Ann Coulter, and get her online at AnnCoulter.com. Ann, good morning. Good morning, John Phillips. How are you holding up with the Rona? <laughs> um, well, despite a certain cable news host hysterical claim two months ago, People will die. You will know people who will die. I still only know one person who's even gotten it, and that was a doctor in New York. He was sick for the weekend and then was fine. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you, this is something that the overreaction to it will last for years and years and years. The jobless numbers came out today, and it's horrible. And I feel like President Trump was right to ban travel from China and Europe, although I wish he did it sooner. He did it quicker yeah, than other countries. Yeah, I wish he done it the day after his inauguration. <laughs> <laughs> but he is going to get blamed for all of these jobless numbers because he went along with it. I mean, he had Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks up there. And I just wish that he would have cut off the, the, the isolating people inside their homes, particularly the healthy people. The sick people should absolutely have stayed inside. But healthy people being locked inside their homes and being forced to lose their businesses and their jobs just never made any sense to me. No, it still makes no sense. And I love people acting like this is new information. Um, you can go back to the first week of this shutdown um, and see my very first column Um, concluding with send the National Guard to protect the nursing homes and let the rest of us get back to work. Um, Wow, how did I know that? Did I have some (laughs) secret insight? No, we had the numbers already. From day one, we had the numbers from Italy, where the average age of the dead was 81. We had the really beautiful numbers, controlled environment, from that cruise ship. Remember, you know, the Princess Cruise Ship, Princess Bride or something? Um, And they had about 1,000 passengers you know, X number got it, and the average age of the dead was something like 90. So we knew this from the beginning. Um, they've put us through these shutdowns. Oh, and something occurred to me. Um, you know they, that they keep pushing this number that, you know, 72% want to continue with the lockdowns. Um, and I was thinking, well, it's Quinnipiac, and a lot of people say can't really trust those polls, but it's got to be more than that for them to be pushing this poll. Um, well, you know, all, <laughs> all state, local, and federal employees are still drawing their full salaries. So yeah. their punishment, their lockdown is don't come to work. But you still get your health benefits. You're still being paid. Yeah, no kidding they want the lockdowns to continue. (laughs) Can we pull people who have jobs, real jobs? 
Yeah, it's unbelievable. And people who can work from home, too, have a completely different attitude about this thing. And that includes people in the mainstream media. You see all these hosts on cable who haven't missed a paycheck, and they're working out of their homes. And you see their homes in the background, and it looks like it's Better Homes and Gardens, where they're just sitting there in their newly (laughs) remodeled places showing off their their art and lecturing the rest of us about how selfish we are. Yes, yes. Oh, it's so vulgar, the way they set up their flowers and their little fake fireplaces. Hey, it's May. <laughs> you don't need the fireplace going. <laughs> yeah, where are you broadcasting from, Iceland? <laughs> no, it's definitely time to lift these things. I, I think you saw, um, I'm sure all you, your listeners saw, but it's worth mentioning again, and I hope you'll play it sometime during your program, that just beautiful dressing down the governor of Florida gave to the press. Um, and it is true, the, the, the media was fixating, they have been fixating on the smart <laughs> conservative governors like Ron DeSantis in Florida. Um, we were supposed to be facing, you know, a death spiral in, in Florida. And Florida, by the way, um, not short on old people. <laughs> and yet Florida, by focusing on protecting old people, has had fewer deaths, not only than, you know, obviously the Northeast, also the Midwest. But if you're thinking, oh, it's because of the nice weather in Florida, oh, no, 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 we've had fewer deaths, um, seen fewer deaths in Florida um, than in the surrounding states with the same temperate weather. No, Ron DeSantis has done a magnificent job contrasted with um, these crazy left-wing lockdown states. Um, also, this modeling, speaking of being able to, to look at data and have some idea what's going on, today's big story seems to be, um, at least based on um, my early morning viewing of MSNBC, my favorite station, uh, that, that um, you know, the lockdown saved 36 thousand lives or something like this no no, you have no proof of proof of this this is just an imaginary um model you've come up with um and 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 in point of fact we have no idea if it saved any lives right now um there we're all operating on these phony models of how things might have gone but these are the same people who, who told us we needed ventilators and cuomo um governor cuomo was doing a terrific job well, they're also the same sorts of people that come up with models that say that if we don't enact the Green New Deal, we're all going to be underwater in 10 years. <laughs> yes, excellent point, John Phillips. <laughs> How much of this do you think has to do with density and public transportation? And I say that because New York is unlike any other city in the United States. They've obviously been hit the hardest. In California, and other states on the West Coast, in the Middle West, people have single-family homes, or frequently, maybe outside of San Francisco and Oakland, and they have their own cars. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to live if you want to avoid getting a virus, because you're not sharing the same subway car, you're not sharing the same elevator if you live in a big building. It's definitely a way to control your environment. But in states like California, they're trying to push us to be more like New York yep. than like the California that mo- many of us grew up in. They want us to live in high-density housing. They want us to live in a big building with a Seven Eleven on the bottom. And maybe I'm just old-fashioned, but I don't want to live that close to bulletproof glass. <laughs> no, that's a really good point, John Phillips. Um, 
Um, obviously, yes. I mean, the things we know about about this virus doesn't really transfer outside. Um, the super spreader events tend to be things where people are singing or shouting in closed, confined environments. Um, so, interestingly enough, just going to church, if, especially if you tell them not to sing, that should be fine. Everybody's facing forward. Going to Broadway plays should be fine. Um, certainly going to stores and, you know, give me a break on these people surfing and, par- and, and going to the park with their kids being dragged out by the police. Um, but, but obviously, um, one, of the, one of the top super spreader events would be something like a subway um, a subway car where you are face to face with people, um, packed in cheek by jail. Um, that is probably why Japanese wear the wear the mask so much because they're required to have um, all that that public transportation as the small island of Manhattan is. But isn't it interesting how, how the media and the Democrats won't men- mention public transportation because of exactly the reason you say public transportation is sacred to them. It's holy. They it's it's part of their dream world of of Orwell's 1984 where we're all all traveling together at the exact same pace, <laughs> facing the exact same direction. No, 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 no. Americans want to get in big gas-guzzling cars, um, <laughs> listen to the radio, drive the way they want to go, stop when they want to stop. It is. It, there's something. I mean, I'm I'm a part-time New Yorker. Um, you do need the subway to get around. Um, in the rest of the world or the rest of the country, it's just against Americans' nature. This mass public transportation, but oh, the left loves it. So even though it is clearly, without question, a super spreader um, um, place to be, no, you, you won't hear that mentioned. No, stay off the beaches. Get out of the parks. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Ann Coulter, who you can read online at annculter.com and follow on Twitter at Ann Coulter. And we know that President Trump once hosted a game show. It was The Apprentice. Now it looks like Joe Biden's the host of the dating game as he's trotting out all of his potential vice presidential picks before the television cameras and auditioning them to see who might be a fit for him. Who do you think he's going to end up with? Um, I, I vacillate. Um, I've, I'm thinking right not now either. And by the way, I ought to say, you may as well be throwing darts at a dartboard by asking me. I do not understand the liberal mind. Um, he's already <laughs> stupidly limited himself to to one to to a woman. I love this identity politics. And by the way, I wrote about that yesterday in my column. This this is what drives the entire Democratic Party now: the identity politics. Well, wait a minute. With what you just mentioned, I know who it's going to be. If he promised he's going to pick a woman, it's going to be John Edwards. (laughs) Well, I was thinking that maybe Cory Booker's one shot, uh, come out as a woman, go transgender. You'd get the whole, the, you'd get all the identity points. He could do it, and he really wants to be president. Plus, the vice president of Joe Biden, if Biden were to win, is definitely going to be president within about two weeks um, of the inauguration. Um, so I'm, I'm tending to think Kamala, um, but of course I wanted to be Kamala because I thought she was going to be the Democrats' nominee before she even won her Senate, Senate seat. So when you're that far... 
when you're making predictions that far in advance, you may as well just stick with them. Um, but she the practically problem- called him David Duke in those debates. It's hard to get beyond that. Oh, they get beyond it all the time. The, the, the Democrats, <laughs> they're, they're hungry for power, hungry. Um, I remember the things Hillary said about Obama, and she became his Secretary of State. The, the, the advantage of picking um, um, an African-American woman over a, a white woman is they won't have to be pedal to the metal on all the – they won't have to stage a bunch of Fergusons. But if it's two whites on the ticket again – Oh, my gosh, there's going to be so much racial mow-mowing. But if he just picks a black woman, well, then they can shut up about the stuff that that is the most annoying to voters. Um, These crazed, alleged racial incidents that, you know, after six months of a grand jury investigation turn out to be nothing like what they told us from the beginning. Um, If he wanted to win... I would I would think his best bet is picking Amy Klobuchar, but again, I don't understand the Democratic brain. They are so worried about turning off their their woke social justice warrior base um, that that maybe she's out of the running. But I, I mean, I, a Biden Klobuchar ticket, though. Let me warn you, listeners, if you're thinking. Um, <laughs> Trump is a ridiculous creature. I'm sick of this. If the Democrats would just run someone half sane, I'll either sit sit out the election or vote for the Democrats. Do not be fooled by what appears to be a moderate Democrat ticket of Biden Klobuchar. I promise you, they will hire the exact same people as a you know Sanders Warren presidency. It's going to be whomever it is. It's going to be all you know transgenders. Um, racial areas, that sort of thing. Ann Coulter, you're the best. Thank you so much for stopping by. Good to talk to you, John Phillips. Bye-bye. You can follow Ann on Twitter at Ann Coulter. More coming up. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Don't go anywhere. Jack and Joe getting an early start of the Memorial Day weekend, but helping us navigate the news of the day, it's John Phillips. On loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, you can catch me each weekday from noon to 3 on AM 790 KABC or online at KABC.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Johnny Don't Like. Now, positive Sean... I'm sure you've been clocking a lot of TV time oh, ever yeah. since the stay put order oh, yeah. was issued. And I don't know if you subscribe to Netflix at all, do you? I do. I do. Big fan. Okay. Did you get caught up in the Tiger King hysteria? Oh, of course. Of course. Yes, yes. I I, I, I crushed that probably in a, I don't know, 10-day span. That, that may be even uh, overshooting it. It may have been shorter than that. And what do you think? Do you think that Carol Baskin killed her husband? Oh, 100%. Yeah, she did that. Um, the, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating little kind of cult phenomenon that kind of seemed to sweep over the nation all at once. Um, it was the first time since Game of Thrones, really, that I felt like there was a, uh, kind of a, a mind share of a show that everybody was watching. Slightly different because people were watching it at their own pace, right? There wasn't the Sunday at nine o'clock. Everybody watches this and then jumps to Twitter immediately after. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was fun to see everybody just kind of, Paying attention to the same thing again. And there are people who are calling for President Trump to pardon the Tiger King, 
uh, Joe Exotic. And I, I, I want to know if you plan on growing your hair into a mullet as a sign of solidarity. Uh, I certainly do not, but I do expect that if uh, if Halloween parties are a thing this year, you're going to see much Tiger King representation at, at said parties. Oh, I'm sure. Now, we have some breaking news involving the Tiger King. An attorney for the missing husband of Tiger King star Carol Baskin said he believes the signature of his former client on a document essentially giving Baskin all of his money is a forgery. Quote, I believe it was traced, lawyer Joseph Fritz, former attorney and friend of Don Lewis, told Nancy Grace in an exclusive interview on Fox Nation's Crime Stories. He believes that she forged his signature, which then made her a very rich woman after Don Lewis's untimely death. This could open up quite a can of worms, positive Sean. Uh, a can of worms, a, a bottle of sardine oil, all, all sorts of stuff that uh, the, the, the Tigers love over there in those various encampments. Well, if there's anyone that should be lobbying for Joe Exotic to get out of prison, it's the people at Netflix, because the only way they're going to get a season two is if that guy's out of the clink. <laughs> Apparently they so, got a, a bit of a, a, a increase in business after all that 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 started the the shady guy who kind of took over the business or took it away from Joe Exotic has been doing apparently pretty well since then since the oh, Netflix special. I'm sure the show did gangbusters. People are talking about it, and we have Barbara Stone coming up next right here on Armstrong and Getty with John Phillips. Armstrong and Getty. Everybody, John Phillips. John Phillips, everybody. John's filling in for us today. Good dude. Hope you like it. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. On loan from Talk Radio 790 KABC in Los Angeles, broadcasting live from my living room in exile in Palm Springs, California. Well, we're all on lockdown in the state of California. Some counties are worse than others. Los Angeles County and Counties in and around the Bay Area and San Francisco are on indefinite lockdown, at least until, well, L.A. County's on lockdown until July the 4th at the absolute earliest. And as we, we look around and we look at our calendar and we try to figure out what the rest of the year is going to look like, are your kids going to be going to school in the fall? Are weddings planned in the fall going to actually happen if you have a vacation that's planned later on in the year, are you going to be able to go on it? Well, nobody really knows, and that uncertainty is leading to a lot of anxiety. Well, in other states, they have much more of a clearer idea as to what the rest of their year is going to look like. Any number of universities in the Middle West, the Southeast, have said that they're going to be open for class in the fall semester, and that means that the athletics programs will be off to the races. On California, we don't know if the University of Southern California, UCLA, Stanford, Berkeley, San Diego State, if they're going to be fielding football teams in the fall. Joining us to talk about this is Professor of Political Science Emeritus at California State University at Fullerton, Dr. Barbara Stone. Dr. Stone, thanks so much for joining us. Good morning, John. Now, you have a, a, a dog in this fight. Your dad was a star player for USC. You are a USC Trojan yourself. 
and you have a lot of family members that attend the University of Southern California, football means something to you. Well, I pay attention to SC football for precisely those reasons, plus overlap it, though this is going to tell you my age. I arrived on campus when John McKay did, so if you weren't a football fan before that, you certainly became it. Um, I also was what's called the faculty athletic rep for Cal State Fullerton for half a dozen years, um, which led me to be president of the Big West Conference, so I pay some attention to this kind of stuff. What's going to happen to these California schools if there's no fall semester? Well, <clears throat> let me try this. I honestly believe that during this pandemic, all kinds of enterprises have been um, damaged or destroyed. You can use the big-time football programs as a microcosm. Because huge dollars, huge salaries, huge expenditures, huge income, but the people actually care about that as opposed to many of the other industries. And I honestly believe the way we're headed that you're going to see a difference in football in particular, but athletic programs generally, um, between uh, the states who never locked down that hard are moving towards opening, and states like ours where it's kicking and screaming going anywhere. Um, oh, look right now. Uh, in California, we have the four Pac-12 schools, Cal, Stanford, SC, and UCLA. The UC system, which is two of those, hasn't decided what they're going to do in the fall. Maybe it'll be online, maybe it won't be. It's hard for them to make plans because they don't know. Stanford, last I heard, was playing around with not having a fall semester, which I think would be a major error, but that's a different topic. SC hasn't announced anything. And besides the general problems, the big problem is they're both in counties where the county health people aren't making it at all clear they can do anything. Why does this matter? This matters because every school but one in the Southeast Conference has announced that they're going to have classes. Other schools in the Pac-12, like Arizona, have announced they're going to have classes. And so their football players are coming back. Our football players, we can't have gatherings that large. So you're sitting around waiting at best if you have football um, practice will begin late. Um, recruits won't want to come here. You're going to have a big problem. Well, one of the things that happens in athletics, particularly in football, is they make these schedules several years out. So, for example, the University of Southern California is set to begin this season against the University of Alabama. Uh, that's something that they negotiated a long time ago, and it's something that the players were, have been looking forward to. It's an opportunity to get on national TV and potentially beat a school who's won national championships in their not-so-distant uh, past. If USC doesn't have a fall semester, what happens to games like that? Do they just forfeit the games? Does Alabama try to schedule a different school at the last moment? What happens? Well, by the way, and this is an unkind comment about my alma mater, but maybe it'd be just as well for SC football if they didn't go get pounded <laughs> by Alabama. <laughs> uh, this game is supposed, by the way, to be played in Dallas at a, quote, neutral site. Um, I, I, 
I just, they will somehow or another, how's this, my belief is, find a way for there to be Pac-12 football this fall at all those schools we've been talking about. It's just a matter of when can you get your folks together and where can you play. Uh, Clay Helton, who's the SC coach, was quoted as saying that there was some discussion about, well, to cut down on travel, you cut out all those games like the uh, Dallas game and just play within your conference so you have less travel time. By the way, that would be more or less disastrous for our schools um, because they would use those uh, their observations for the national championship series and all that. But since our schools aren't very highly rated, that would be the end of that. You could sweep through the conference and it wouldn't matter. One of the things that I think is factoring into this is that Gavin Newsom, who has a huge amount of control over what happens to these universities and whether or not they have a fall semester and field athletic teams in the fall, is that he is... He is seeking a national profile. He's appeared on all kinds of national programs, including Late Night with Seth Meyers, The View. He just did MSNBC this morning. He clearly has national aspirations. If you're Gavin Newsom and you have national aspirations and you and your state screw up the college football season, I would imagine that's not going to play too well when you put your name on a ballot in the South Carolina primary or on Super Tuesday, because people remember that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Although, to be honest, he comes from California, so that would hurt him in the South Carolina primary. But um, actually, I think he's slowly beginning to understand some of that because he's in the last few days made noises about permitting professional sports to reopen in California. And they'll drag the colleges along, except that I don't know that they understand the uh, – it's complicated because you – College sports are tied to a school. The school has to be doing something. Uh, I will use San Diego State. San Diego State, while it's not a power five, a part of a power five conference, they think of themselves as pretty big stuff. And my old system, I work at, worked in the California State University system. Those idiots have announced that they'll be all online except for a few things in the fall. San Diego State's announced their football team's going to be on campus anyway under a performance exception. So, you know, God help us all. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think you've got going the, the overall that came from the governor. Then it goes through county health people who aren't thinking about things like this. And then the universities themselves have to figure it out. And for the universities, the problem is liability. And you put it all together, and it, we're, it's going to be, I think, ugly for big-time sports in California, but we'll find out. What have the USC and, and Stanford and UCLA and Berkeley and San Diego State even, they have robust alumni associations that exist, and they have money, and they play in things like political races, and, and they have power and they have influence. At what point do those people start causing trouble for Gavin Newsom in these various counties? You know what, part of it, I, I'm not going to really know how to answer that because I don't know how directly you would tie it to Gavin Newsom. Um, he, he is, if you've been watching, suddenly running in the direction of, oh, this is going to be a local decision. So I suspect what he's trying to do there is pass off the, pat the buck 
to like the L.A. County health head and going, well, she'll tell you when you can have practices and open and do all that kind of stuff. So at some level, he's understanding the dangers. And anyway, I think you'll find people getting much more upset. I don't know this is true with the local health people than with the state, since the state appears to be trying to backtrack. Although very late, you're already so far behind states in the south and places like that, it's going to be hard to make up. On the subject of California politics, one of the names on Joe Biden's shortlist for vice presidential picks is Kamala Harris. She went after him very aggressively in the primary and a really below the belt nasty way. You think there's any chance that she's going to get the VP nod? Of course. Uh, of course there's a chance. Um let's put it this way. Number 1, it's not clear to me that Joe Biden's the one picking his vice presidential nominee. He has a committee out there. And his role at this point, he's making nice noises about virtually everybody, whether they've been mean to him or not. Uh, If he and they decide she has the credentials that will carry him to victory, then she'll be it. Not the fact she was mean to him about being a little schoolgirl on a bus probably won't affect anything. I just can't quite understand what she would bring to the table. Uh, Joe Biden's going to carry California. If Joe Biden doesn't carry California, well, he's not going to be president, so that's the end of that. And she didn't play well um, when she was running nationally. She just really... Actually, what she did was she'd one day be in this place and the next day someone would bring it up and she went, oh, no, 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 I don't think that. She just didn't do well. And she's not all that wildly popular here. And you can go after her with Democrats for keeping all kinds of people in prison when she was D.A. So I, I don't see it, but, oh, he'd take her if they thought she'd help. What about Stacey Abrams? That would be an interesting situation because she is essentially a former state legislator who was never able to win a statewide race, although she seems to believe that she did. I would love to see the same people who twisted themselves into pretzels saying that Sarah Palin was unqualified to be a VP nominee tell us that Stacey Abrams is more than qualified. <laughs> you know, Pi. <laughs> Once again, John, you know that really doesn't matter. It, it, <laughs> it really doesn't. Actually, at least she she did come through the legislature, where, by the way, supposedly she worked with Republicans reasonably well. And it's a matter from their point of view of how they interpret her run for the governorship. Because if she actually would have a shot at delivering a southern state, then you should be looking at that woman or whether or not it was much more the Republican was relatively weak, and therefore she came close, but um, it's not going to work on a larger scale. I will point out to you the case of Beto O'Rourke, who almost knocked off Ted Cruz and therefore suddenly believed that he was going to be president of the United States, and he couldn't do squat. It was more people didn't like Ted Cruz than that Beto did much. So they have to follow through on that. Uh, calculus. Well, that was the same thing that happened to Bernie Sanders. Bernie ran against Hillary in 2016, and everyone thought there was this big socialist awakening. As it turns out, no, that's not true at all. Everyone just hated Hillary Clinton. 
I think that that's an absolutely fair statement. Dr. Barbara Stone, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, John. Bye-bye. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. More is coming up. Don't go anywhere. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Jack and Joe getting an early start on the Memorial Day weekend, but we are in the very capable hands of the binge-worthy John Phillips. Yes, it's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Positive, Sean. I We talked a little bit about cruise ships earlier in the program. Uh-huh, uh-huh of which I'm a huge fan of. And I, I'm now confident that if you if you give it a throw and you don't get the Rona, you'll have a great time on the cruise ship. I'm also a big fan of Las Vegas. Are you a fan of Sin City? I do enjoy that place. Uh, I've I spent many a weekend that I have forget, forgotten most of what's happened during those times. All I know is that <laughs> it was filled with excitement. <laughs> well, Las Vegas is a city that shut down because the state of Nevada is shut down. My favorite mayor in America, Mayor Carolyn Goodman, who I refer to as America's mayor, uh, wants to open that city up, but she received pushback from her governor. She received pushback from Anderson Cooper and others, so Las Vegas remains closed. However, the city of Las Vegas is now closing down a couple of small stretches of downtown streets to give diners a little more room outdoors. According to a city spokesman, New dining pavilions will take over stretches of California Avenue and 6th Street effective immediately. And I've been looking at these pictures of downtown Las Vegas, and they have all of these tents everywhere, and they have tables and chairs and everything you would expect to see at a restaurant underneath them. And people who want to spend time in downtown Las Vegas can go ahead and eat their dinners Outdoors, I guess they think that it's going to bring tourists back to the city or at least people who live in southern Nevada out to downtown to dine. Is that something, as a fan of visiting Las Vegas, that you would have any interest in? Uh, well, uh, generally when I go to Vegas, the, I mean, the, the cuisine is delightful, but patio dining is not what is the magnet that gets me to go there, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Well, especially when it's 312 degrees, which is what it's going to be in Las Vegas very soon. But they always have strange technologies where they manipulate the, right? Like various misters and, you know, ice sculptures next to you. Like they, they do a very good job of disguising that they are actually located right in the middle of a desert. I don't know. Whenever I'm outside in Las Vegas in the middle of summer, I sweat like a pig. <laughs> uh, that's certainly true. Now, here's what I'm worried about. As someone who loves the city of Las Vegas, who loves to visit there, I love to gamble, I love to go to the shows, I love the cuisine, I like the hotels, I like the whole atmosphere. If they go overboard with whatever the, quote, new normal is, and they change the experience of what it's like to go there, I have no interest. I like the buffets. I want to eat at a buffet. I like to play cards with other people. I don't want to play cards where it's just me and the dealer behind a layer of plexiglass. I like going to shows. If going to Las Vegas, I like going in the swimming pool. They have great swimming pools at the hotels in Las Vegas. If going to Las Vegas 
now means that you have to play cards with just you and the dealer and every other slot machine is closed down and there's no show and there's no pool and there's no this and there's no that. I don't know what the point is of going to Las Vegas because Las Vegas without the slot machines is Victorville. And I'm from Hesperia, California. Let me tell you, I would never go there on vacation. It's a wonderful place to grow up, but there isn't much to do during the day. Frankly, there's not much to do at night. And I just hope they don't ruin what makes Las Vegas special by trying to bend over backwards and show that they're doing everything they can to fight the coronavirus and we're willing to give up what's special about our city to make sure you're aware that we're doing that. I can't wait to go back to Las Vegas when this thing is over, but I want to go back to the Las Vegas that I know and not some crazy new normal version of Las Vegas. We've got one more hour coming up. It's John Phillips in for Armstrong and Getty. Don't go anywhere. Armstrong and Getty.